Hello, this is your loyal host, William A. Wellman. In addition to creating Hello from the Hallowoods every week, I write novels, read horror stories, and tune into the work of other podcasters in the horror fiction space today. Sometimes I invite them into my dimly lit parlor for an armchair conversation about horror. In this bonus episode, I sat down with Alan Bergon, Beth Eyre, Felix Trench, and Stephen Indrasano to talk about their upcoming audio drama adaptation of Bram Stoker's world-famous vampire novel. This is The Skull Sessions Regarding Dracula. So I'd love your name, a little bit of the background about you, what projects you're coming from, and what you do with uh, regarding Dracula. Sure. Um, I'll kick things off because I think I'm probably the least uh, interesting option here. My name's Stephen Inrosano. I'm one of the producers here on Regarding Dracula. Um, I was originally brought on as the dialogue editor, but I would not shut up about the book, and so they brought me on as producer. Um, so I'm kind of the dramaturg and general horror nerd of the bunch. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm frantically scrabbling behind the scenes like a rat in the walls. And that, <laughs> let that serve as my introduction. Uh, hi everyone, I'm Beth Eyre. I'm really excited to be here. I am an actor and a voice actor. I'm probably best known for a podcast called Wooden Overcoats about rival funeral directors. And in Regarding Dracula, I'm playing Lucy Westenroe. Hello, I'm Phoenix Trench. I'm an actor. Uh, I also work on Overcoats for Beth. This is the uh, this is the third time I've been in any form of Dracula, and the first one uh, was when I was, I think, nine years old. I was in a musical version called The Dracula Spectacular in an Amdram production, and I played uh, a, a chorus member called a glublick because we all we all drank a, a drink called glublick and the drink the song went drink lubberly glublick <laughs> drink it right down to the brim that's not in the book uh, <laughs> i've i've read this book a few times now and i've yet to go find any reference to glublick uh, and i'm playing renfield so hello my name is alan bergen also an actor um most known in the podcasting audio world for my role as the interviewer in the amelia project i've worked with both felix and beth before on well beth has been in an episode that i wasn't involved in but technically we were in the same airspace um also a big fan of wooden overcoats if you haven't listened to that before please do so um yeah i am uh, playing van helsing in regarding Dracula, um, very excited about it. When I was asked if I would be up for the part, it came at the exact right moment for me because I had kind of made a decision that I wanted to do something which was very different from the interviewer in the Amelia project and also again different from Loki in The Secret of St. Kilda. So when Fascinating Dutchman came along, Vampire Slayer, then yeah, I was all in there. Bring it on. So yeah, very excited about the project. Um, I'm a big vampire, um, kind of closet vampire nerd. Um, even things, you know, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, watched the whole thing back to back, watched all of Angel, I've watched all the Twilight stuff. I've watched a few different versions of Dracula, including the questionable Van Helsing with um, Hugh Jackman one, yeah, yeah. Which was, which was, it was you know, it was, it was a fun film. They took some liberties, but yeah. 
My Van Helsing will not be a muscle-bound um, arrow-shooting fighter. I, I'm very curious. Looking at the, the cast and the team that's behind regarding Dracula, how did this team of people all come together? Did you recruit people? Did they just sort of... Uh, crawl out of coffins in your basement. Yeah, I can speak to that. It was a really amazing process because Hannah and Tao were the other kind of main producers, uh, along with Ella Watts, who we have on kind of on a contract basis, who's just incredible. Um, we just started dreaming. You know, we, we came up with a short list of all of the actors that we knew could handle the depth and intensity of this book. Um, Gothic being the tradition that we're in, there's a lot of intense emotions that have to be sold right, otherwise you kind of fall off the edge into camp. And as much as I love camp, that's not necessarily what we're going for. Um, so we started with a short list of actors that we knew their work, we knew they'd be able to handle the depths of the work, um, and then we did a closed audition. So we sent these roles to quite a few actors who we felt would be good fits, and then from those auditions we had a night where we sat down, it was probably like three hours it took, just like listening to takes over and over again because we didn't get a bad read, obviously. <laughs> obviously we didn't have a single person submit you know, work that wasn't show quality. And then it just came down to like the nitty gritty of casting, um, you know, voice differentiation, uh, dialect work, who, who has energy that's going to play off of someone else's energy, um, who is going to treat this part with, especially with, with Renfield, Felix, part of what brought us to your take is a sensitivity to the character I think that was kind of our, our major deciding factor for a lot of these characters was who's coming at this, not just extravagantly, but thoughtfully. We started from the baseline of if we're going to adapt this book that has been adapted over and over and over again, we have to bring our A-game. And that starts with casting. It starts with bringing on artists that you know are going to bring a maturity and depth to the story. The thing that's really exciting to me about regarding Dracula as a podcast adaptation uh, is how much like of the modern day audio drama horror scene talent, like from Wooden Overcoats, from the Magnus Archives, from Secret of St. Kildare, from dozens of other shows are coming together to, to work on this project. From our, our voice actors here, uh, you get this email saying, you know, we're doing a, a Dracula adaptation what made you say yes to uh, to this project? Uh, what piqued your interest about it? In all honesty, uh, it was paid. Uh, Dracula is good. And I think when people ask that question, they assume there's more work out there than there is. We're not sifting through our inboxes saying, oh yes, I'll, I'll take this screenplay with Stephen. That sounds wonderful. We're either scrabbling around trying to find work or working on our side jobs. Beth and I have occasionally talked about, in relation to Overcoats, how that show was 360 days of prep and five days of our job. When you're not acting, you're promoting, you're, you're looking for things, and 
you know, Dracula's a... It's not nonsense. It's a, a good story. Use that. That's our tagline. <laughs> from the producer. It's... Regarding Dracula, we are not nonsense. Yeah, exactly. It's. I've been waiting for uh, audio drama podcasting to start diving into the the back catalogue of public domain works. It, Dracula didn't occur to me, but I've been wondering who's going to be the first team to do a Pride and Prejudice and who's the first team who's going to do a Holmes. So this feels like maybe a, a, an early step within that. Well, um, like Felix obviously work, yep, absolutely, but um, it, it's so up my street. I, I love Gothic literature. I love Dracula. I didn't necessarily ever think I'd be part of a Dracula project. I have not done it three times before, like Felix. Obviously, there aren't that many women in it. And you think, you know, maybe this isn't going to be one. This just isn't going to be one for me. And I definitely never thought I would play Lucy. Um, and I'm so excited to do so. I think she's so much fun. It's sometimes the most delightful thing when somebody's like, maybe you'd be good in this. And you think, huh, I would not have thought of that. How exciting. I, a few years ago, did an audiobook which was like the DK Guide to Global Vampires, which was really fun. Um, but I actually came to reading Dracula in something like the last five years. I did not read it at uni. And having seen Nosferatu and having seen various Dracula adaptations, I had a lot of ideas about what it was. And I suppose I was struck by how different the novel is to how I thought it was, how so much of what we think of happens so early on. And... And how weird it is, I guess, how how Dracula can be a fog or a dog or all these world-breaking things where you think, this is too much, this is going to break the story, he can't be everything. And how weird the characters are. I don't want to sort of hog other people's characters, but Van Helsing is so strange. And I think even, even Anthony Hopkins, even all the takes there are in film, it doesn't come near the strangeness that is actually in the books and how eccentric a person this is. And the Dracula daily phenomenon phenomenon I hadn't heard of, but I, I'm so glad it exists. I, I tutor Dracula now, I teach young people, and it's so wonderful that there's something out there where a fandom have got behind it and are loving some of the things that are so weird. Uh, Jonathan Harker cuts himself and the Count throws the razor out the window and just people reacting to that and being like, hang on, what? What? It's great, and that's what I want students I teach to feel about this to sort of enjoy the weirdness of the book as well as as the gothicness and I think it's interesting about about podcasts sort of marrying up with with gothic literature and how a lot of these things are epistolary no one can say this right epistolary epistolary novels and um how that lends itself so well to to installments to that sort of overlap that podcasts have had with found footage and the team's incredible. I'd worked with Tal uh, a little bit on horror before, and so many reasons. Why would I not do it, I suppose? <laughs> it's, um, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. I've rambled now, Felix, so we're even. <laughs> but I, th I, th I think as actors, we're all guilty of rambling until somebody says cut or thank you, right? Um, <laughs> Stop. But, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I've always had this strange relationship with the whole podcasting world because I, I suffer quite a bit by, uh, with imposter syndrome especially when we're doing like kind of group discussions like this because I'm I'm not that present online you know I I, I do you know I, I used to run a theater company and I 
write a little bit for independent film and you know I've kind of got these categories that I'm trying to always chase my tail and keep up with and before St Kilda came along I didn't really think I was going to be involved in any other podcasts because I kind of thought Amelia ticked my podcast box then once St Kilda came out I was like, I, I remember saying to my wife you know what I, I'm really starting to get into this I'm really enjoying um, voice acting for podcasts one, one of the main reasons being that there's just so much freedom you know it's just you and the microphone it doesn't care what you look like you're not seen it's just you and your voice and I find that you can just be so much more free and you can play with the character a lot more. I think even people who say that they don't like vampire stories are still fascinated by them in some sense. You know, there's, there's a reason why there are so many rewrites of vampire stories and why it comes out in, you know, cult literature and, you know, it's, it's redone over and over again. Uh, one of the perks with Dracula Daily, I, if I'm not mistaken, was that they would release content uh, at the same intervals as content in the book. So sometimes you would get a, a Dracula Daily, sometimes you would get no letters from Jonathan for a couple of weeks. What have been some of the challenges or some of the thoughts when trying to adapt this uh, 1897 novel uh, into almost the audio drama format that uh, you know listeners are uh, I will address kind of some of the sonic qualities. I think this book is scary as hell if you can populate it right. And I love audio drama because it can also be very frightening. It is a conduit for the imagination. And so much in Dracula is incredibly tense and disturbing if you can imagine it just right. Um, the ghost ship Demeter section is just, oh, it's a masterpiece. And if you can place yourself in that headspace of like the creaking boat that's slowly depopulating, where are the voices going? There used to be 12 people hoisting this mass and now it's me and one other dude. And I don't know if I can trust that dude it's just boxes on this boat. What is happening? Podcasting is uniquely prepared to tackle both the serialization, which adds to that mounting tension day by day. What is happening on that boat in the hours that we are not listening to it? And when we're placing the audience on the boat in that immersive you know, that's a buzzword we love in podcasting. Ooh, the audio is immersive, but it truly can be. You close your eyes and you listen to sound design that's well done, and you can be put somewhere else in a way that's very visceral. And I think that for us, Dracula represented this opportunity to really get into that imaginative space. And it's a lot harder to force your way through and and bust through to the plot if it's on an audio timeline because we're going to make you take your time and you're going to be on that boat for a while. Um, so that's kind of something that's artistically exciting about the adaptation. Was there anything uh, about the Dracula story that uh, surprised you as you began to like look into who the character is, what happens, uh, you know, and like what you would have to grapple with uh, in, the, in the production? Because there are so many modern adaptations, so many different ways of doing it, and so many different actors who have played Van Helsing over the years. For me, from the very start, was this 
trying to place him so that so that it does justice to the character. You know, it, it, it's a very serious story. He has a very serious role to play in the telling of the story. I would really be interested to hear as well uh, from Beth. Uh, the, the one thing that struck me reading through this book, and like, it's one thing to sit and by yourself and kind of work through the pages of a novel. It's another when you're reading something out loud to people and then you're realizing how some of the stuff that you're reading sounds. And, you know, what struck me going through the early uh, chapters of Dracula is how sometimes it feels like the narrative is really working against like what precious few female characters we have in this story. <laughs> Where do you find kind of the, uh, I guess, the courage that Lucy really embodies? Um, because I, I think she does have a lot of strength despite uh, how her journey through this narrative looks. In a book that's largely populated by men, it sort of makes sense that a lot of how they carry on would be defined by their relationships with men, because men is what we have. Uh, and so many wonderful male characters in this in this novel. It's also interesting with Lucy, spoilers, um, <laughs> given what happens to her, not, not to play the end of that, not to just... Um, make her a victim I think it is important for the plot that we see uh, the darkness of that and what can happen but also Lucy isn't just that um, and you know she she's a young woman who's who's very vivacious who's who's just on the beginning of life in some ways and um, who enjoys having three suitors and in a way that seems very fun and there's sort of lightheartedness to it. And I guess, I don't know, I just, I suppose as Alan says, wanted to do justice to her, wanted to find the truth of that, that sometimes horror is a way of exploring our darkest, most primal fears, but also society's fears. So if a woman could entertain the idea of being married to three men, what's the worst case scenario and then what's the worst case scenario if you introduce a supernatural element and maybe she's gonna die and come back as the undead and plague children and oh it's so out of control um which is interesting um but it's kind of a lot as well and i i don't know i i loved reading those those early letters to her and mina i enjoy their relationship i enjoy their playfulness um their articulateness, articulateness, articulacy. I think that Lucy genuinely does kind of love all these guys, not like that, but sees the best in them, sees what's good in them, enjoys those moments that she has with them. Something that we were looking for when we were casting Lucy was an actor who could bring a lot of humanity to a part that has been thoroughly uh, dehumanized by popular culture. Lucy as a character, I think, yes, obviously does not get enough uh, character development in the way we would kind of think about it now in terms of, yeah, we really get her, her opinions on her ailing mother and her relationship with three to five men. That's not ideal. Um, and so we needed an actor who could find the universal aspects to those experiences and really put her foot down to say, this is what a Victorian man wrote about the female experience. I am going to bring to the table the aspects of his writing that ring true to me, and that is what you will hear. Reducing that kind of patriarchal 
propaganda wherever possible, while also presenting, I think, the emotional resonance of wanting your friends to be okay. Um, those are some of the tensions that are going on artistically behind the scenes. Why does this book continue to see this recurring life uh, when, you know, many other novels uh, from that time period uh, don't uh, get pulled off the shelf anymore? It's a novel, I think, primarily about uh, want. It's about desire and it's the, the metaphors for that are taken to almost absurdist extremes. Um, Lucy with her three suitors on the one end, um, uh, Renfield over here on the other, and his uh, his need to consume as much life force as possible and also be near Dracula. And what it has is it has a really clear-cut evil. Dracula is a monster in every sense of the word, and because he's he's so demonic, we don't need to justify him. He's not Moriarty. We don't need to find a kind of human way in. We can accept that there is good, and that is the majority of our cast, and then there is the void, there is the evil, there is Satan, and all of that. There's no two ways about it. We're not there trying to save his soul. We're trying to uh, put a stake through his heart, chop his head off, and fill his mouth full of garlic. <laughs> yeah, but I, th- I think this... I think Which, as we all uh... know, is a white flower. The famous, <laughs> the famous image of garlic is a white flower. Yes. I, th- I, th- I think the reason why this book... I mean, like Coming off the back of what you just said, I think one of the main reasons why this book has stood the test of time is because even though it's uh, fantasy, it's horror, it's, it's still very relatable. I, th- I think lots of people out there that they're battling with internal demons on a daily basis. You know, there's, there's, you know, I, I, I would argue that almost none of us out there feel perfectly whole in any way. You know, we're all flawed and we're all more aware of our own flaws than the rest of the world is. And for a story like Dracula, you have this outward force, which is, you know, basically unstoppable. And it's that allure of something which is there to lead you astray against your will. It's almost like saying, hey, it's not my fault. You know, it's like, try as I might, you know, this evil that's out there is just too strong. It's cruel. I can't do anything about it. Although we're constantly battling against it within ourselves. And I think this, this is why a story like Dracula is so relatable now as it was back then. And I think it always will be relatable. Because it's it's that it's that evil that you know that your granny told you about. You know, you fly with the crows and you get shot with them. You know, be be careful who you get into bed with. You know, don't let the devil lead you astray. It's 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 just a retelling of that story of the, there is evil out there and we are all impressionable to it. We can all be overcome by it and won by it. So it's not so much about fighting it. It's about knowing knowing that it's there and you know being able to see it and, you know, make your own choice to either run and hide or fight against it. But, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think all of us, at least sometimes, can relate very much to that. It's so lovely hearing people talk about it. Um, it 
I completely agree. I mean, for me, obviously, it's about death. It's it's about our primal fear of death and, in a way, an exploration of what's worse than death, what's worse in not being able to die, in not being able to move on from death, in trying to overcome death. And how can that make us worse, more frightening? It's such a primal, global fear. I think it's really interesting what Felix is saying about about want as well as death, about everybody, maybe it is that Lucy would quite like a sort of polyamorous society where she's never going to upset any of these men and she's never going to get, and Mina wants to be of use to Jonathan, to be able to work alongside him, and she's doing such a great job of that, but within the confines of a society that is limiting. And even Dracula, he, you know, sure he wants to suck people's blood, but he also wants to be an English gentleman, and... um that's not going as well as he thinks it is. There are all these wants that society is actually limiting and stopping. And seeing those frustrations play out is really interesting. You know, you mentioned how Van Helsing's weird. There's no character's weird as Dracula. Right. Dracula is a top ten weird character. For sure, for sure. There's a quote um, from actually a, a cast member of ours, uh, Alistair Stewart, who is in my opinion, one of kind of the foremost uh, horror commentators of our era. Um, Been doing it on Pseudopod for ages and ages and ages, and he goes back to this idea that horror is the most hopeful genre. Horror in that it can go to places of depravity and darkness and pain that are not allowed in other genres and in in literature broadly, especially in the Victorian era. I mean, the idea that you're allowed to write about what happens when someone you cares about not only um, dies, but changes in this way that makes them an absolute dark mirror of themselves. The novel really is about finding hope during that finding the strength to take on a character and really force of nature that we find in Dracula. He is such a fascinating cultural figure, I think in no small part, because he's everything to everyone, right? Dracula has stood for disease. He's stood for some really harmful stereotypes around both Eastern people's Jewish peoples, but he's also stood for the dangers of male power. He's stood for the dangers of wealth beyond control. He's this Rorschach test. He's this inkblot of that which makes you dread. And Dracula, at the heart of it, is the story of confronting that dread and doing so in a community. I think that's what really shocked the internet most as a lot of people got into Dracula for the first time is that it's not this kind of traditional uh, American, you know, one one character saves the world. It's not that. It's, it's pre that. It's about community and the strength that we gain from each other. And I think that's something that keeps it universal because each and every character in this book reaches their breaking point and that's just good drama um so i think for me that's what it comes down to is is hope despair and 
rising above. I think that's a that's a wonderful summary of the book. And uh, thank you so much, everyone, for just really speaking so poetically about uh, about this novel. Alan Bergen voices Van Helsing in the upcoming show. Beth Eyre voices Lucy Westenra, Felix Trench voices Renfield, and Stephen Indrasano is an executive producer and dialogue editor, alongside talents such as Kareem Cronfley as Dracula, Jonathan Sims as John Seward, and Alastair Stewart as Captain of the Demeter. Their unique approach to this story breaks the novel into chronological installments based on the dates established in the story itself. Redracula is set to begin on May 3rd, 2023. You can find them on their website at redracula.live, on Twitter at redraculapod, or come May on your favorite podcatcher. Hello from the Hallowoods is produced by William A. Wellman. For first access to new Skull Sessions with other voices in the horror podcasting space, look to the Hallowoods Patreon at patreon.com slash Hallowoods. Until next time, dreamers, stay tuned.